Good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. I'm glad that you are here. Um, hey, I want to put a plug in for the app that George mentioned. Uh, that is really effective. Uh, I, I've, I've got it downloaded. It is incredibly intuitive. It's a lot of information you know, right on your phone. Go ahead and do that. I appreciate George and his daughter Anna for putting a lot of work into that. But it's going to help in a lot of ways to keep up with what's going on here at Bay Area. So do that this afternoon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So this past uh, Sunday afternoon, a week ago, I spent three hours doing what I'm sure a lot of you were doing, and that is watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lose in the divisional playoff round to the Detroit Lions. Uh, hated to see their season end, but actually I thought they played really well. I mean, they were right there till the end, and my opinion, Detroit just had the better team. I think Detroit had more talent, uh, but it, it was a good game. But after the game, uh, I saw Detroit's head coach, a guy by the name of Dan Campbell, give a post-game interview. And he was really emotional during this interview, which made sense because Detroit has been so bad for so long. Um, but I want to share with you just a little bit of what he had to say after they won that game. Here, here's what their coach said. I've got a lot of really, really outstanding people around me. And it takes everyone being involved. This group, they love football, and they love this team. And when you care more about the person next to you than you care about yourself, you can do special things. That's where we're at with this group. All 53 players working together as a team, all three phases of the game. This unified group of people. Now, why would a football coach emphasize unity and more than that, why would a football coach say that what we've accomplished in large part is due to the unity of this team? How did they achieve that unity? You know, did they all read the same book about, you know, the, the, the strength of being unified? Did they all go to a retreat before the season, held hands, shared their feelings? How does the offense really feel about the defense? Oh, I, I doubt that any of that happened. So, why did that team have so much unity? It's not because they talked about unity, I'm sure. The reason that team was so unified was they had a common goal. They had a mission that they all shared in. They had something that they wanted to accomplish. And they knew if they were going to accomplish their goal, if they were going to accomplish what they wanted to do, they were going to have to be unified together. So right now, Detroit Lions, as well as the other three teams that are still alive, are laser-focused on a goal. They're laser-focused on accomplishing what they set out to do. And no one has to remind the running back, hey, don't forget to pick up that blitzing linebacker. That's his job. That's what he's going to do because he has the same goal as the wide receiver. He has the same goal as the guard. You know, they've all got the same goal, so they're all doing their best to achieve the success, the outcome they want. We've been talking here this year uh, about the church and looking at the church through the lens of Jesus. This morning, I, I want to talk about the church actually through the words of Jesus. 
And we're going to see that Jesus put a very high premium on something that he said was going to be very important for the church. And if you haven't picked it up, is unity. I said I want to talk about unity, and the whole purpose of my football example is you don't have to talk about unity to, to you know, achieve unity. That uh, You develop unity by a common goal, a oneness of purpose. And when you have a common goal, when you have that oneness of purpose as a team, as a body, as a church, unity is just going to happen. It's just going to happen. I have never been a part of a church that didn't talk quite a bit about unity. But again, just talking about unity doesn't really help achieve unity. Unity, for the sake of unity, doesn't happen. What it takes is a common goal. What it takes is a purpose. And when we all have the same goal, we all say, this is what we are laser focused on. This is what we are about then unity will happen. It'll just happen. As we think about the church through the lens of Jesus, I want to take you to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 actually is a prayer that Jesus prays. That whole chapter is a prayer that Jesus prays. Um, we know the context of John 17 very well. It is in the larger context of uh, uh, an evening that Jesus spends with his apostles. He's in a room, an upper room. And he spends some time, he washes their feet, they share in the Passover meal, Jesus has a lot of things to say in that upper room, and then in chapter 17, he begins to pray. And I want you to notice uh, a little bit of, the, of what Jesus has to say in his prayer to the Father. I'm going to pick it up in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, talking about the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In that prayer, Jesus prays a very odd thing to me. It's, it's a strange teaching. It's a strange, it's a strange thing that he says in the prayer. Maybe it's not strange to you, but it's kind of strange to me. Jesus says, the world is going to believe in me through the unity of my followers. That your unity, our unity, is actually going to point people to Jesus. I want this unity among my followers so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you find that odd? that Jesus prays that prayer. The world's going to believe in me because of the unity of my church. You ever considered that? You know, we kind of think, well, people who don't believe in Jesus, people who don't believe that He's the Son of God, people who don't believe that He actually came to earth, died on a cross, raised from the dead died for our sins, people who don't believe in heaven and in earth, or heaven and in hell, what we need to do is teach them scripture. That's going to show people, you know, that Jesus is who he was, which, of course, it does. I'm not taking anything away from scripture. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. 
But we think if we get our hermeneutics right, people are going to believe in Jesus. If we can go back to the Old Testament, and I've done this many times, if we can go back to the Old Testament and show someone the hundreds, hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah to come, and then go to the New Testament and show that Jesus completely satisfied, fulfilled every single one of those prophecies, that will point someone to Jesus. That will prove that Jesus is... That's what we need to do. We need to get our facts right, and we need to get a, do a better job of sharing the facts. That's going to point people to Jesus. It will. Or, maybe you've thought this. If Jesus would just come back and perform a miracle, that would do it. That would do it. If people today could see Jesus performing a miracle, that would convince them that He came from the Father, that He is the Son of God. Or, if like the apostles, one of us could perform a miracle in the name of Jesus, that would do it. I mean, could you imagine if Travis came up here this morning and healed someone? And I'm picking on Travis because, well, he looks like Jesus, right? <laughs> so... But could you imagine if, if one of us came up and healed someone? We'd be like going, oh, wow, I wish I'd had my neighbor here today of all days, because that would have done it. That would have pointed to the fact that, that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, I think if I just preach a really good sermon, if I just preach a really good sermon, that's going to that's gonna prove to people that Jesus is the Son of God. The song leaders think if we just have a really meaningful, spirit-filled worship, that is going to move people to understand who Jesus is. If we just do this, if we just do that. And again, I'm not taking anything away from any of that. Not at all, except for Travis healing someone. That was a joke, okay? <laughs> but those other things, absolutely. Absolutely, those are strong arguments. All I'm doing is pointing out that Jesus said, if you want people to believe in me, then you be united. You be of one mind, one purpose. That was Jesus' prayer. And again, please don't misquote me or misunderstand me. Yes, Scripture is incredibly important. Of course it is. Sound teaching is, is, is vital. Of course it is. Spirit-filled worship you know, is, is so moving and, and powerful. But Jesus' prayer in John 17 was, Lord, may they be in us. May they be one. So that people will believe. And that's our goal, right? Everybody do this. Yes, that's our goal, that people believe in Jesus. We want to point people to Jesus. The goal is that people will believe in Him. Verse 23, Jesus is actually going to double down on what He just said, just in case you might have missed it, or just in case you might misinterpret what He really meant. I in them, you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Again, what's the prayer? Father, I want them to be brought to complete unity. Jesus prayed for complete unity. Why? Why? So that the world would know that he was from the Father. 
And that verse he said, and also so the world will know that, I, that you love them like you love me. Jesus said, I want unity in my church. Why? Because the world will know that you sent me. If there's unity in the church. Which, again, sounds strange, right? It sounds kind of odd. That unity, our love for each other, somehow believe, would somehow cause the world to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and that God loves them. How does our unity prove to the world that Jesus is who he said he was? How does our unity prove that God loved them? Because it seems like two different issues, right? You know, we're, we're going to be unified, we're, we're all going to, you know, be together on this, and then Jesus is the Son of God, God loves the world. It seems like two different things. But Jesus is saying that that's not two different things. Those two issues are, are intertwined. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm asking the Father to accomplish. John, uh, the Apostle John, was in that upper room that night. He would later write in 1 John chapter 4, No one's ever seen God. But if we love each other, If we love each other, God lives in us. And if we love each other, His love has been brought to full expression through us. People are going to see the love of God through us. Through our love for each other. This whole plea of unity, isn't it just we... You know, we kind of get along and tolerate each other. No. It's because if we don't love people here, if we don't love people in the church, how are we going to love people outside the church? If we show our unity and our love for each other, what's that say to people that, that don't know Jesus? And I don't know if you've ever thought of unity in that context before. You know, we, we, we talk a lot about evangelism. Jesus is talking about evangelism in his prayer. He said, this is one way to evangelize the lost. You love each other. And I'm not sure I can explain it. But I'm going to take him at his word. That when we love each other, there's something that speaks to the world about our unity. As a family, as a body, as a church... We have a purpose. We, we, our, our purpose is to bring people to Jesus, right? If I asked you, you know, what, what's our purpose? Why are we here? We're here to bring people to Jesus. Go and make disciples, right? Disciples of who? Disciples of Jesus. That's why we're here. We're here to point people to Jesus. Is there anything that you have to do this week that is more important than... Someone who, who doesn't know Jesus, someone who doesn't love Jesus, who doesn't believe any of the things that you know, are in the Bible, doesn't believe there's a heaven, doesn't believe there's a hell. Is there anything more important than you, that you have to do this week than to point that person to Jesus? If that's the focus of your week, if that's the focus of your interactions, then you're going to seek unity within the church. Because now it's not just about us. It's not just about us. It's about our friends. It's about our neighbors. 
It's about people who are lost. And we want them to be found, right? We want them to know Jesus. Those people that I know that that, that some of them are related to that, that don't know Jesus, I want them to find Jesus or be found by Jesus. I, I, I want to see them baptized. I want their sins to be forgiven. I'm, I want them to be in heaven. You know, that's what I want. That's what I care about. What's more important than that? And when we focus on that, when we focus on the mission of introducing people to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, guess what happens here? We're all pulling in the same direction. We've all got the same goal. We are a team. And we've got different abilities and we've got different positions. But we're a team. A team all trying to get the same outcome. And I'm not sure how many Christians wake up in the morning thinking to themselves that God has something for me to do today. Well, how many times you wake up thinking, God, um, I know you have something that you want me to accomplish today. Usually, we wake up thinking, there's something that I want to accomplish today, and God, I would appreciate you helping me get there. There's things that I want to get done, and God, I would appreciate you stepping in and helping those things that I want to happen, uh, happen. And suddenly, God becomes the means, not the end. All of a sudden, the desire of our heart in God, the desire of our heart is something else, but hopefully God's going to help us get the desire of our heart. And I think sometimes that's why people come to church. Because I want a great marriage. And I want to have a wonderful family. And I want to be healthy. And I want to be blessed. And I think God can get me there. I think the church can help with that. But again, that then becomes the end. That becomes the goal. But God's the goal, right? Jesus is the goal. That's the goal. We get to have a relationship with God. We get to claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the end. You want want to know what the reward is for serving God? The reward for serving God is serving God. (laughs) That is the reward. We get to serve God. And that should blow your mind. It should blow your mind that we get to serve the God of the universe. The, the God who spoke everything that is into existence has something that he wants me to do. Are you kidding me? God, Jehovah, has something that he wants me to accomplish? I get to be used by God? I get to serve God? I get to be on his team? You wake up ever in the morning and think, wow, God has something for me to do today. Because usually we're pretty good at kind of stepping back and looking things you know, at 30,000 feet. God has you know, something for my life. You know, in the grand scheme of things, I think I'm going to fit in somewhere. Do you ever wake up and ask yourself, God, what do you want me to do this morning? 
what do you want me to try to accomplish this afternoon? Look back at his prayer in chapter 17. Jesus says this in his prayer. I have brought you glory on earth, talking about the Father. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus tells the Father, I have brought you glory here. How? Because I completed the work that you gave me to do. Jesus said, I had something that I needed to do, and I did it. And through my actions, I have brought glory to the Father. At the end of his life, the Apostle Paul would tell Timothy this in 2 Timothy 4. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Somehow Paul knew that his days were numbered here on earth. So he tells Timothy this, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. At the end of Jesus' life, Jesus tells the Father, I have brought glory by doing what you told me to do. I've done. I've done it. I'm finished. I did it. Paul tells Timothy at the end of his life, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. I had something on this earth to do. I did it. Could you imagine getting to the end of your life and being able to say, you know, my time is limited, but I think I did what God wanted me to do. I think I lived my life faithfully to my Father. Could you imagine that? Paul goes on to say in verse 8, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's us, by the way. God has given us work to do. We've got things to accomplish today, this week. And one of the things that God has given us to work on, work toward, is unity. To strive for unity. Not just for the sake of unity, but for a much grander purpose. So, I'm going to put Jesus' statement back up there. I am going to ask you all to do something that we haven't done in a long time. And I'm going to tell you up front, a lot of you aren't going to like it. But I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. I want you to assume, which I know is a dangerous thing to do, but I want you to assume that God is going to bring all of us right back here next Sunday. Now, that's not going to happen because people travel, people get sick. You know, I don't know that we're ever the same group one week to the next. But let's just assume that we are all going to be right back here a week from today. What will you have done in the past seven days between today and next Sunday to bring unity to this group? What will you have worked towards? What, what will you have done? I, I, I'm, I'm talking a practical thing. What will you have done? So, here's the thing that some of you aren't going to be crazy about. But I'm the preacher, so I'm going to ask it. I want you right where you are to get in groups of five, six, or seven. And I want you to come up with three practical ways as a group that I can strengthen the unity of this church this week. 
Now, I'm only going to give you two minutes. So you don't have time to complain about the assignment. You don't have time to complain about the sermon. You don't have time to chit-chat. you got to jump right into the assignment here. Two minutes is going to go by really quickly. Move around if you need to. If you need to slide down a little bit, turn around. Go ahead. Two minutes. Come up with three practical ways that I can strengthen the unity of the church. The clock is running. Okay, time is up. Stop talking. Sit down. Stop talking. If you're talking, you're cheating. You're cheating in church if you're still talking. Very good. Don't you hate when you show up at church and church happens? Don't you hate that? And listen, I understand that asking an introvert to open up is just as rude as asking an extrovert to shut up. <laughs> so thank you. Thank, thank you all of you for participating in that. Um, but I want to hear from you. I want to hear a way or two that your group said, I can strengthen the unity of this church this week. Somebody raise your hand and, and tell me. Right here, Lisa. Praying for, Praying for specific people. This whole sermon came from a prayer, right? Yeah, we can all pray for, if Jesus can pray for unity, we can pray for unity. Back here, Allison. What did your group come up with? Ooh, encouraging people. People, and in fact, Allison said, people who don't usually get a lot of encouragement. Encourage those people. Right here. Attending a small group. Be a part of a small group. Man, absolutely. Lucy. Checking in on people who maybe you've missed. Pay it, which means you've got to pay a little bit of attention to who's here and who's not here, right? And then think, somebody needs to reach out. Okay, I'll be that someone. Ron. Intentionally reaching out lost person. Being intentional about reaching out to someone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. I like that word intentional. Don. We can use modern technology by texting and calling our members of the church on a weekly basis that maybe we haven't seen in a week before. You know all you introverts? Text. <laughs> text. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Texts, uh, you know, hey, hey, don't you, you know, don't you get encouraged when a family member says, hey, hope you're having a great day? Yeah. Or when a friend says, thinking about you today. Doesn't have to be. And then, you know what I always respond with? <laughs> that is my universal response to most every text I get, but I appreciate them. Anybody else have something that your group came up with? Be, be intentional about trying to meet new people. Oh, boy. I like that. Be intentional about looking for people that you might not know real well. People that might be, um, you know, introverts. introverts. <laughs> yeah. uh, keep your eyes open. Remember when you were brand new someplace? How nice it was that somebody smiled and somebody spoke. Eric. For myself, being an introvert, inviting people over to your house, getting yeah. to know them. Hospitality. Yeah. 
Boy, what a great tool we have in our homes to be able to do that. Uh, okay, David, come on. Have a meal with them. Ooh. You know, I lived through an area, that's great, David. I lived through an age where people were always in each other's homes, or we always went out to eat with someone else. Um, I like that, David. Download the app so that you know what's going on. Yeah. You know what? All these things about encouraging. Well, I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know there was a game night last night, you know, that the, that the youth group hosted. I, I didn't know that, the, you know, the, the, the men meet on Tuesdays or the women meet on Wednesdays. All those things. Cherry. One more thing. One more thing. Cherry has the last word. <laughs> That's perfect. This is perfect. Because Cherry's such an invert. If Cherry doesn't have 50 hugs by the end of this day, you all are going to have a problem. I'm just telling you. Okay? Listen. Thanks for indulging me a little bit this morning. You know, we talk a lot here at Bay Area about being a 242 church, don't we? We want to be an Acts 242 church. And the one criticism that I have received on that focus is it's awfully inward focused that is an awful inward focus not according to Jesus Jesus says that's actually a great evangelistic tool that people are going to believe in me because of your unity and again I'm not trying to explain it I'm just trusting Jesus to be telling the truth. It's how we display Jesus to the world. Our oneness really is our witness. We're a body made up of a lot of different body parts. But every single part is so important to be, to belong, to point people to Jesus. Because that's our mission. Jesus is the mission, right? It starts with unity. To give people a visual representation of God's love. So, this week, moving forward, you've got some great tools in your toolbox. I hope that you'll take one or two or three of those. Say, you know what, today, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make an effort at promoting unity within my church family. As a church, let's be the church. Let's be the reason that someone says, I've never seen anything like that before. Let's do it this week. As a church family, again, we're going to offer an invitation song. Uh, and as a family, if there's something going on that, uh, that you need to share with the family, we invite you to come and join us down here at the front. Let's go ahead and be standing. <laughs>